This is episode 103 of the IDRA Class Notes Podcast. I think one of the top reasons that it's so difficult in math and science is because we push vocabulary so hard with all these research ideas that it becomes an isolated event. And it doesn't become put into the context where it's continuously used and modeled by the teacher. And there's limited opportunities for students to actually talk using that academic language so that they build an understanding of what that looks like in context, as opposed to a definition. And where can that be applied? Let's have a conversation and come up with an explanation of that. Greetings from San Antonio, IDRA's continuing its podcasts. Today, Paula Johnson and Veronica Berancourt are with me, Aurelio Montemayor. We're going to have a conversation about math and science, specifically the learning of math and science in our schools, both elementary and secondary. So, Paula, what was the conversation you were having, Veronica, about the challenges in teaching math and science? We were looking at the performance indicators that are published by TA. Our and state it, education of agency. State education agency. And it, it shows the categories of did not meet proficiency, met proficiency, and the commended, and what the top 10 characteristics or attributes of those students are. And we noticed that in the students that are not meeting the standard, that in the top 10 consistently among grade levels from elementary through high school, in math and science, are the inability to effectively use their academic vocabulary. So vocabulary is one. Vocabulary is one. And usually in the top three, that's usually the top one. And in the top three is the, is a deficiency in using or interpreting data from tables, charts, and graphs. Tables, charts, and graphs are killers for them, huh? And then there's a third one? The third one, also in the top 10, is the transfer of information. Being able to understand and recognize something in a different format or in a different uh, application setting. Okay. Veronica, I want to back up a little bit. What is a performance indicator? A performance indicator basically just outlines um, what the characteristics are for students who did not meet the proficiency levels based on the state agency's review of the data that they collected at that year's tax. It's what the students can or can't do. Yes. Yeah, okay. Qualities, if you will. And, and you were saying that both in science and math, across the board, vocabulary comes out number one, vocabulary in the content areas, and then, but also the interpretation of data. Say more about that. One of the biggest issues that, that students have, it's a national initiative in terms of the five dimensions of mathematical proficiency and scientific inquiry on understanding data. Okay, slow down. The five <clears throat> dimensions of? Mathematical proficiency. Proficiency. And, and science and, inquiry. And science inquiry. Oh, okay. Are there parallel ones for math and science, or is the same? They're similar, but one of the ones that is connecting the two is the ability to interpret charts and graphs. Okay, oh, I see, right. I see. That's the point. Thank you. Thank and you. so with that, when students are asked to do it because of a standard that mm-hmm. is given by the state or the national standard, it becomes an individualized piece of information. Yes. And oftentimes it's not transferred into multiple contexts. And so students don't have access to continuous opportunities for constructing graphs, interpreting graphs, extrapolating data, and using the information to compare their understandings of the math or the science or whatever they're learning. So there are several steps required. And so how do you handle that in the classroom? It seems to be pretty difficult. That would... Well, the first is it depends on the grade level. 
Um, but even in the most elementary class, the youngest groups of kids, you start building the, the strand for data interpretation. Just like we build the algebraic model from kindergarten, pre-K really, the same can be said for data. When they are grouping objects, comparing the objects that they are grouping, then as they get a little bit older, they're actually creating tables about these and making predictions about outcomes. When they start getting into the fourth and fifth grade, they're actually going to use the central tendencies, mean, median, mode, range, to actually interpret this data. Mm -hmm. But at the very simplest level, teachers couldn't, we were discussing this earlier, that teachers could just ask, you know, how many people wore jeans today out of this class? Compare a set of data. How many people wore jeans compared to how many didn't wear jeans as they get older in the grade levels? And as that, you have that conversation, then it's converted into a table. It's, yes, it's put right. more they abstractly. Can, and yes. they can actually embed um, practicing fraction, decimals, and percents, which is another major challenge for most students. But they can convert the, the data from the different representations. So, I mean, there's just on-the-spot But it's moments. based on concrete experience. It's based on what, yes. what is in the environment or what they're experiencing, yes. and from that you get to the... Right. In science, how does that happen? In science, one of the things that often falls short in during laboratory investigations or mm -hmm. experimentation is that they, students collect data, they create a chart or a table or a graph that represents the data they collected, and then it's turned into the teacher for the teacher to evaluate. Uh -huh. So it becomes an evaluation piece and not a fluid document where students get to interpret and discuss, how did my data findings compared to those of other now, groups? Now, is this for middle school? This is even in elementary. Hey, little ones can do that. First little ones grade. can do it. So even, let's just say as an example, um, students go home and they're learning about graphing. Yeah. One of the things they could do is if, if one of their chores as a 7 or 8-year-old is to get their clothes ready for washing, they, the parent could say, tell me how many pieces of clothing is dark tell me how many pieces are light, and they can bring that information back to the classroom and then they can compare or they can have conversations about what is the difference. And then at older grade levels, they could even do percentages and identify what the pattern was. It's, it's not easy to separate the math from the science. They're both kind of very, wedded uh, science and math. Are, very integrated. Yeah, Absolutely. very integrated. Okay. What are the challenges in the transfer of the information? The biggest problem that we see is that once students seem to master the ability to identify, let's say, the correct table for a particular set of information or vice versa, when they see it in a different context, that's where the transference isn't occurring. What helps them see that connection? Because I think it's a connection that a lot of children don't make. You have to help well, them it's, see it. It's, I would not say it's an innate ability. It's something that we have to show them and, uh -huh. and show them how you take information from one context and relate it to another. It's something that has to be taught and multiple scenarios and multiple experiences. Uh -huh. It has to also be the modeling, which is what Paula right. is talking about, modeling is the what? modeling of what it means to take information and apply it to a uh -huh. new context. And one of the strategies that can be done in the classroom is called a think aloud in which the teacher presents a new problem based on information that students have acquired or learned about and the teacher as an individual learner representative or as a as a model will talk to herself or himself and talk their, themselves through the problem out loud so that students who don't have access to those metacognitive strategies can see the process of what it means to make that application. Okay, can you give me an example of a think aloud? 
So a think aloud could potentially be if we collected some information about students' eating habits. Okay. And we wanted to find out um, how often they drank soda. Okay. And so students collected data, and then they did an in-class assessment of what that average might be. Then the teacher could say, what else could we apply this to? Maybe I want to find out how often I exercise every week. What would be the process that I would use to try to find that information oh, out? Okay. So I know that I kept a journal. So you're thinking aloud. I'm thinking right aloud. Okay. I know I kept a journal of how many times I drank soda every day for seven days. I wonder what I need to do with how can that transfer into this piece. Well, if I want to know what my average is of how often I work out, I should probably keep a journal about how often I work out and the duration or the length of time that I work out and what I do in the workout for seven days. Oh, okay. And then I can but average it out. you're telling the students as right. you're talking, walking yes. it through. Rather okay. than listing steps yes. or just showing them another example yes. and expecting them to be able to give yes. you the steps themselves. And this is something that a parent can do at home also, but the mm -hmm. child, as you're taking steps and you're thinking aloud in front of your child. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, now, I'm going to go back up because you said the number one challenge was vocabulary. Is it because the technical terms in science and math are difficult in themselves, or why is vocabulary the challenge in the ma teaching of math and science? I think one of the top reasons that it's so difficult in math and science is because we push vocabulary so hard with all these research ideas that it becomes an isolated event and it doesn't become put into the context where it's continuously used and modeled by the teacher and there's limited opportunities for students to actually talk using that academic language so that they build an understanding of what that oh. looks like in context as opposed to a definition okay. or understanding well what does mean oh it it references the fact that it is the average, the average of it. And so where can that be applied? Let's have a conversation and come up with an explanation of that. As opposed to just like mean equals um, finding the average. Because I remember vocabulary for math, they'd have a word, angle or something like that, and you'd uh -huh. write in three or four words and define it that way. But uh -huh. what you're saying is you embed it in, in the things that you're doing and you keep showing. As teachers in, in other disciplines, we're used to giving vocabulary lists. The students define them. Yes. They might even look them up. Yes. And teachers do that. Some teachers still do that in mathematics. Yes. The way it has to be used in math and science is it has to be, like we use a lot of um, total physical response. Yes. Um, but the students need to see it in action. And while you're seeing it in action, you're saying these words. Like they, are, they need to use these words. The, By the way, right. in total physical response, you actually act out what the word is asking. They have, yes. it, you stand up, you stand up. Sit down, you sit down. Right. Yeah, you, you give you them do a, a definition, physical. you give them a physical or, or recall memory of yes. it. And sometimes even a saying that goes with it. Or, yes. but some Memory it, hooks. It creates a, a very concrete understanding of what that word means or how it's going to be used. Mm -hmm. And so in math and science, the problem is that a lot of teachers don't give the students opportunities to use their vocabulary words by creating sentence stems or sentence structures. And there's a way to correct students' use of certain vocabulary or lack of use of the vocabulary terms by simply restating what they've told you using the correct vocabulary and the way it should be used. Uh -huh. So essentially, it has to become a social process. Yes. It has to be an interaction of students with each other and with their environment utilizing those vocabulary. But there also seems to be a lot of redundancy. You use them a lot. And you keep. You use them yes. all the time. Yeah. Yes. Lately, I've been looking at a lot of, uh, I would say, frameworks that are incorporating 
music or poetry or yes. chants yes. to reinforce the use of the vocabulary, not just with the um, pronunciation, but also the meaning. Now, sometimes chant and, and rhyme and all that is used as a memory tool, but you're, you're going beyond that because you're also integrated into actions. You are yes. giving it more context. Now, I know, for example, that the traditional thought is algebraic concepts are too abstract to teach to children or even to middle school students. But there are also concepts in science that are considered too abstract, right? That right. The, in science, at least you have, if you have the living thing and you're working, you've got it in your hands. Mm -hmm. But the concepts themselves are as difficult for most children to grasp as in, in algebra. In science, how do you deal with the abstract What's, what's one abstract concept in science that, that, that you have to work with children on? They have to be able to reinforce ideas at a macro level, such as volcanic activity or earthquakes or shifting of, of tectonic plates. That's the macro, earth, the big stuff. The big stuff. And, uh -huh. and micro, which is the stuff that we don't yeah. see with our naked eye. Those are the two kind of extreme yes. areas that students have a difficult time with because they're not in continuous interaction with it. And so creating models that represent what that looks like and the conversations of the forces and generalizing it so it becomes a big picture. Okay. Then it becomes an issue of patterns and trends, and that's where transferability can then become a, Well, actually, from, from both, both of your saying is the vocabulary, the interpretation of data, and the transformation are woven into the lesson. These are not separate things. Right, it's, exactly. It's a continuum of some kind. They're organically connected. Right. Because when you were saying, right now, what you were just saying, you were going from the understanding an abstract concept to then taking data and laying it out in an abstract way or semi-abstract way. So, yeah. So, if I would ask you to summarize something you would like to tell teachers who right now are fearful of these things, these challenges, vocabulary in the content areas, fearful of graphs, their children aren't handsome, and the transfer information, what's a word of hope you would give them as teachers? teacher talking to a teacher? I would say to challenge yourself to intentionally find opportunities to bring each of these into the classroom and what does that look like and don't hesitate to ask a peer or a instructional coach or um, a mentor to give feedback on that because it becomes a reflective process that is an opportunity for growth. Okay. Paula? The keyword would be intentional. Intention. Finding ways to intentionally put your students in these situations. And the help of colleagues is definitely helpful. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope you too have yeah. also. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.